0: good, great time of worship. Amen. So I always say just thank you to the worship team for leading us, for spending your time and your dedication. Thank you. Thank you very much for serving us. I know most of them aren't all right in this room, but a lot goes into that and so I appreciate it. I appreciate that you, you don 't just show up and play songs, you work on it. you craft your skill, and so thank you. I love it um, and it just the Lord shows up right yes. that that 's why we do all of this is that he would show up um, and I, I feel him right now, and I, I, I want to before I get into the word, um, I want to say, would you close your eyes like I, I just want to say this I wanted to seed the sermon right now, so If you're here in the room, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, I just wanted you to close your eyes. If you're here in the room and you feel like that you're a blind person, like, man, I don't see, I don't know, or not that you're lost, but you just feel like you're blind, there's hope for you today, and and the Lord's going to give you a word right at the very end of the sermon, but I just wanted to say it before we get into the sermon to prepare your heart. If you're one of those, maybe you're on Facebook Live or YouTube or whatever, and you feel like, yeah... I, I like I like what I feel, or I like what I sense. But I, I'm I'm blind. I don't know what this means. I don't understand this. Um, so, I, like I don't know if this is for me or, like. Is there a seat at the table for me? Yeah, there is. And the Lord's going to give a word for you right at the very end of the message. And so I just wanted to say that, first of all. All right, thank you very much for that. We do have two quick announcements. That We have a workday this coming Saturday at 11 o'clock from 11 to 3. So we're going to be doing a lot of preparation, again, for our kids and our youth, getting things ready for VBS, which is the second announcement, which is July 26th. So that whole week, Monday through Friday, July 26th, we'll have VBS here on site. So please pre-register, see uh, Matt or Amber, and they'll get it all set up. If you want to help, we would love the help. And so that's coming up. And so thank you very much. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple of different places. Um, Let's see here. Let's open to 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 3 through 5, 1 Corinthians 4. And I hit on this a little bit in the last message or the last couple of messages, but it's going to be a starting point to carry us on. Um, I've been talking about um, a very raw topic on the Pharisee spirit and how um, a few months ago the Lord just kind of said to me, like, you're a Pharisee. And I was like, what? How dare you? You know, <laughs> I'm not a Pharisee. Like I'm a worshiper. I love you with all my heart. I'm crazy about you. Right. And he's like, yeah, you, you don't even see it, that you're a Pharisee. And, um, and, and when the Lord deals with me and stuff like this, a lot of times he'll even ask a question and he'll say, do you want me to do something about that? Yeah, come on. He always asks me, you know, like, and he'll bring something up with me and he'll be like, Do you want to do something about it? He always this hasn't always been my experience with him. But as I've learned to to know him as a merciful, gracious, tender father, I don't see him as a big truck that's just gonna run over me. I see him as a loving father who comes to me and, and wants me to know that he's for me, not against me. And that anything in my life that, that moves me away from his perfect will for me is actually painful for me and painful for him. And so when, when the Lord brings these things up, he often asks me, do you want to do something about this? Do you want me to do something about it? And of course, if the Lord comes to you and says, you're a Pharisee, <laughs> like think of the things that Jesus said about the Pharisees. Hey, you're a brood of vipers. Like, I don't want to be a group of vipers, you know? I don't want to be whitewashed stones, but in, inwardly I'm full of dead men's bones. Yeah. I don't want to look really good out here and religious so that I put on a good show for everyone, but inside there's death and decay. Like, yeah, Lord, if I'm anything like that, Throw me up on the operating table and let's go. I, I don't care how long this, this can be the journey of the rest of my life for all I care. As a matter of fact, I've had 45, almost 46 years of being trained in the ways of a Pharisee. So if it takes another 45 or 46 years to train it out of me, go for it. I just want to please the Lord. I just want to please him. And so we're on, this is part four of Ectomy. We are being investigated How many have felt like the Lord's spoken to you the last three or four weeks over this message? Thank you. Good. I'm glad to know that it's not just for me, Um, but today I want want to say, I want to talk about this side of it. Like, I don't know. There's so never ending topics with this, but for part four, I want to say the Pharisee spirit is a critic. It's the critic. Uh, The Pharisee spirit sits back and criticizes and judges. And it's not always like the mean criticism. Sometimes it's the, well, look at them. I'm, I'm better than that. Sometimes it's the promoting and the puffing up of ourself rather than tearing everyone else down. But sometimes it's both. It's, oh, well, look at them. I can't believe they worship like that. I can't believe they act like that. I can't believe that they think that that's okay. Don't they know better? Don't they know? And it always comes back to don't they know better? And Matthew 5, verse 3, when Jesus is, this is his first, like his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of this, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's Matthew 5, 3. Would you say that with me? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus started his preaching uh, lifestyle his preaching tenure for three years, and he started it by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, change the way that you think, change the way that you view things, get God's mindset on stuff, because the kingdom of heaven can be taken hold of. He even said later on in his teachings, he says, the kingdom of heaven from the beginning of time has been suffering violence, and the violent take it by force. So it's really dangerous... When you're a Pharisee, and you know the law of Moses, you know the law of God, and Jesus says something like, you can grab hold of the kingdom. Because what the Pharisee mind does is it thinks, I know how to grab hold of the kingdom. I've learned now track with me. Okay, what it's a really sneaky, subtle thing. It says, I know how to grab it. I know how to take hold of it. But Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is within reach. You can take hold of it. And then he immediately comes back and says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying right there, it's not how you know me as far as the word of God, the, the Torah, the law, the things that you've been taught. There is a posture of your heart that says that even though I feel like I've earned some sort of um, relationship with God or I've walked with God and I've earned some sort of credit with him, I actually haven't. It's a posture of saying even though I know Jesus and love Jesus, I still need him. Even though I know he's gifted me and he's given me talents and abilities, and I've been able to put some of those talents and abilities into place, and I've seen things happen, I still didn't ever do any of those things on my own. It was him doing it. And I'm poor in spirit. What that literally means is I acknowledge I'm completely dependent upon him. The kingdom of heaven can be taken hold of. It's within reach for everyone. But you can't reach out and grab the kingdom. You can't reach out and take it by force. You can only take the kingdom through humility and being poor in spirit. And what the Pharisee mindset does is it comes in and it begins to judge and to make assumptions and reasonings based on things that they've learned and experienced. And it thinks that that's the way that you access the heart of God. And it's a really subtle thing because... You think, well, well, I don't think of God in those terms. But we think little things like, man, I just had a bad thing happen today. If I would have just prayed more this morning, then that thing wouldn't have happened. Uh, Or if I would have, you know... Let's just use a, a, a money thing. Like, well, if I would have given to the poor there, then, this, then this, the flat tire wouldn't have happened this morning. I knew I should have given that $5 to the poor person on the side of the road, because now i got a flat tire, and God's punishing me. Like, you're, you're, you, we begin to reason things that aren't in the mind of God. We talked about it the last few weeks when he, he just feeds the 4,000, and there's leftovers with a little boy's lunch, and he's like, why do you reason you have no bread? To his disciples, why are you already reasoning again that you don't have something? Because the Pharisee mind goes into reasoning and judgments, and it's a critical thing. And it's like, he said, you'll ever be learning, but never understand. You'll ever be hearing, but you'll never come to the knowledge. You'll never come to the ability to to perceive and to see, because this Pharisee mindset, it, it creeps into our reasoning Okay, I'm just setting it up. Reasoning is important because it's the process by which our actions come, right? Through our reasoning comes our actions. Through our reasoning comes the posture of our heart and comes the things that we do with our life. And without even knowing it, this Pharisee mindset can jump into us and begin to affect the way we reason. And in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5, I read this the last few weeks, but I'm going to read it again. And this is Paul talking to the church in Corinthians. in in Corinth. He says, but with me, it is very, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And then he, remember, I I, I said this, like, I never saw this like this before. He said, in fact, I don't even judge myself. Like, that sounds like a dangerous thing for a a believer to say. Like, I, I don't investigate myself. I don't judge my own heart. And I remember years ago we were at the bridge and the Lord began to show this to me that that it's not even okay for me to go inside of my heart and try to investigate myself because that's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm supposed to invite the Holy Spirit. You come and you investigate because if I do the investigation, my reasoning is gonna come into play. And what I will do is I will begin to see things that aren't there and I will begin to assess and weigh and measure and criticize in a way that's not through the mind of God. So it's it is a dangerous thing for us to investigate ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? Outside of inviting the Holy Spirit. So it's not a it's not a I investigate and then I invite God to come in and do the things that I told him I found. Like, hey, man, I had a really bad attitude. That probably comes from this, Lord, because you know that I was raised like this. And we come with our whole list. So, so, God, would you please help me with these things? That's not how this works. This is a, God, I can't find any sin in me on my own. I can't find weakness or locate weakness on my own. Holy Spirit, I invite you, the searchlight, to investigate me. And the Holy Spirit will come in and he'll say, okay, are you ready to go on an investigation? And he's the one that turns on the searchlight. And I walk with him. And if he brings something to light, we address it. If he doesn't bring something to light, we leave it alone for right there. Because I only want God to deal with the things that he's bringing to attention. Because what happens, this is what we do. The Pharisee spirit, the critic spirit ends up chasing all the things that God hasn't brought up, chasing all the things that we think we can fix ourselves, and we leave the things that really, really matter because we're doing this on our own. And he goes, I don't even judge, my, judge myself. As a matter of fact, like, don't judge. He's like, I don't think there's anything against me. I, know there's, I don't know of anything against me that would cause me to be damned is what he's saying. He goes, but I'm not justified by that. Because he's saying, I don't see everything. Everyone say, I have blind spots. spots. We all have blind spots. Like We think that criticizing and judging goes one way like we point at other people. But what it actually does more often is it finds a way to appease ourselves or to acquit ourselves. And we use the judging mentality or reasoning more often to say, well, I'm okay because of this. I'm okay because of this. I don't know if I'm okay or not. Paul is saying, look, I don't know of anything against me, but this doesn't justify me because there's a judge. He goes on. He goes, there is one who judges is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before its time until the Lord comes and he will bring everything to light, the hidden things and the darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. And then we'll each receive our praise from God in that day. So what he's saying is do not come under the influence of a critical or a judging spirit. Do not investigate yourself, because that is the leaven of the Pharisee. You're like, well, like, aren't we supposed to work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Absolutely. But that is not a license for me to bring myself under a microscope and try to find what's wrong with me. Yeah. Come on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You want to know, like, a really crazy truth? There's a million things wrong with all of us. (laughs) Every one of us. All of them. Like countless things are wrong with us. If we really want to get down to it. But guess what? He chooses to abide in us regardless. He chooses to. Like we're not sinless. We all have sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet Jesus still makes us his home. And so the trick is for us to begin to think through the reasoning of the Pharisee or through the critic that says, I've got to find everything wrong with me so that he'll want to stay with me. He wants to stay with me, period. Yeah, come on. And when he brings things up, we better address it then. Because if it's on his heart, it's really important and it should be on my heart. So if the Lord comes to Jared and says, hey, Jared, you're a Pharisee, I shouldn't shift that and say, man, I'm not really taking good care of my body. I'm gonna work on my body right now. I'm gonna eat better, I'm gonna exercise, I'm gonna spend my effort and my attention and my study right now on how to get in better shape. That's not what he brought up. Does it mean that I don't need to get in better shape and take care of my body? I didn't say that that's not true, right? But he didn't bring it up. I need to address what he brings up. So everybody here, give yourself a break for right now. Stop and invite him and say, Lord, you have, this is the conversations that we have with the Lord. You can bring up anything, anytime, nothing's off limits. If you bring something up, I will listen to you and I will surrender and submit to whatever medication you prescribe me. Whatever you say. I won't become distracted and chasing all these other things that I can work on myself Sometimes it's way more pleasing to the Lord for us to work on the one thing he brought up than doing all the other righteous things that we think we should be working on. When we judge ourselves, when we use reasoning of the Pharisee, the critic, to judge for ourselves, we're always looking for, for these things. We're looking, do I measure up or am I falling short? That's the reasoning of the critic, of the Pharisee. Am I doing really good? Or am I not doing very good, all right? And when we measure our life with those two things, am I doing well or am I falling short? There's only two possible outcomes. That's it. There's no other, like, this is, a, this is an equation. It's math. It's not new math. It's old math. And two plus two is four. And if I think, am I doing really well or am I falling short? I will always come to one of these two, two conclusions. Pride or shame. Yeah. Period. There's no other outcome. If I'm looking for ways that I'm doing well, I will puff myself up in pride. Ooh, good job. It may not even start out real arrogantly. It may just start out as, okay, I just need to boost my self-esteem and feel better about myself, but it will end up in pride. And if I'm looking for, man, how am I falling short? How am I not measuring up? I will cloak myself in shame every single time. Pride is, is dangerous because it's sneaky. It's so sneaky. It's because we judge ourselves. That's the most proud thing we can do is, I'm okay. I see everything. I got it all under control. I mean, <laughs> how many of us really know ourselves? Come on. I mean, Really? Know ourselves. Like, well, I, I, of course I know myself. Do we really? <laughs> yeah, Do we on. really know ourselves? Yeah. So how how could we possibly know that we're doing great? Because I see everything. That's how pride comes in. We become arrogant. We think, oh, I see everything. When we see a weakness, here's the dangerous thing of pride. When I see a weakness. I become proud because I'm dealing with it. Let's just say a weakness arises. We, we become aware of a weakness in our life. And we start taking measures to take care of it. Then when we're with other people, we're, we're with our spouse or accountability people, and we're talking, what's the Lord doing in your life? Well, I found this weakness in me and I'm taking care of it. Whew. And they're like, well, good job. Way to take care of that thing. Not so fast. How would I even know how to deal with this thing? How do I know what to prescribe to fix it? But we think we know, right? And the Pharisee spirit comes in and says, I'm handling this. I've got it figured out. I know what medicine to take. I read somewhere. I learned something. I saw something. I saw someone else treat this this way. So I'm going to treat it this way. It doesn't work like this. And when we invite this, and I don't want to talk too much on pride today, (laughs) but pride goes before a destruction. Pride goes before destructive behavior. Like, man, why is everything falling apart around here? Maybe we're being proud somewhere we don't know. and We're inviting destruction. Pride causes resistance to come into our lives. And not just resistance from life, but resistance from God. God resists the proud. What? Yeah, it's his word. He says it. God resists the proud. But guess what he does to those who humble themselves? He gives them more grace. More grace to the humble. Pride was Satan's sin. Like, think of the worst sin in the world right now. Let's just say, I think we can probably all agree on this one, right? If we're making a list that someone who abuses a child, is, it's gotta be at the top of the list, right? Like, they should be taken out, and you know, firing squads might be invited. Like, we could probably all come into agreement. Like That's a really easy one you know, to point at. Like, you're hurting kids, you, you don't deserve to be around here, right? That's not even the root of sin. The worst of sins. It's pride. Pride is the worst of sins. Because pride is how this all started. Satan looked at God's throne and he goes, I'm going to climb that hill. I'm going to climb the mountain of God and I'm going to sit there. And that's why the scripture says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? only he who has clean hands and a pure heart like and satan puffed himself up and thought yeah i can conquer that i can do that i can climb that hill no we can't and that's the original place where sin came in that that pride being puffed up and so when there's pride in our lives we should deal with it like this is big this is really important lord you brought out there's pride here and pride there you showed me this pride let's deal with it together i don't want to be proud I don't want you to resist me. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, by pride comes nothing but strife. Ah, if we're striving, maybe there's pride. Proverbs 11 verse uh, 2 says, when pride comes, then shame follows it. So what happens? Okay, I'm doing really good. Here comes pride. Oh, I'm not doing really well. Here comes shame. You see, we feel shame because we've come into agreement with the accuser. Come on. You know what shame is? Shame is simply putting on the clothes the accuser wants me to wear. Not putting on the robes that Jesus made for me. Yeah. And I'm coming into agreement with what the accuser says about me instead of agreeing with God. And shame will disillusion me and it will diminish me. Shame will cause me to hide who I am. Shame will cause me to disappear. Shame will cause me to walk around in defeat. Shame will cause me to read every situation incorrectly. Pride does the same thing. Shame causes me to misread how people respond to me. Shame causes me to misread the seasons that I'm in. Shame is, <laughs> shame is not our friend. And he came to release us from shame. Amen? Amen. But we invite shame when we take on the, the Pharisee, the critical spirit, the judging spirit. But let's close with these thoughts real quick. How many of you have ever felt shame before? Okay, I would argue, for me, a little bit of shame is pretty good for you. <laughs> like when I do something really... Sinful or stupid, I should feel bad about it. I'll also say this. Don't quote me, but I'm just, I'm working some stuff out here. I don't think shame is as damaging as what we do to cover up our shame. Because it's the same spirit the pride and the shame working together. I feel ashamed. And now the side of me that wants to feel good about myself is like, okay, well, then this is what I'm going to do about my shame. I'm going to cover my shame. I'm going to mask it. I'm going to conquer it, right? And every time we try to cover our own shame, we are clothing ourselves in self-righteousness, which we all know the Bible says, Our righteousness is filthy rags. Like, it doesn't work. Like, you saw this in the garden, right? They were naked, and they were unashamed. They could have had anything they wanted there. They bought into the lies of the enemy, came into agreement, and they they stumbled and they fell. They partook of the fruit, and immediately their eyes were opened, and they knew what? They knew good from evil, and they knew they were naked, And so what did they do? They hid. (laughs) They hid, and then they covered themselves. And God comes walking in the garden, and he's like, hey Adam, hey, she wasn't Eve yet, but Adam and girl from Adam, (laughs) where are you? And they answered, we heard you walking, and we were afraid. Well, well, he's thinking, why are you afraid? Well, we're naked. He's like, you've been naked every other time I've seen you. Who told you you were naked? Where'd you learn that word? Shame. Shame taught me that word. Who taught you to feel shame? That serpent. He tricked us. Adam, is this true? Hey, she tricked me. (laughs) Covering up, covering up, covering up. Because they learned something they weren't supposed to know. And it was shame. And that was bad. But what was worse is what they did to cover it up. And they put these little leaves thinking that God wouldn't notice. We're okay, we're cool. See, we're not naked. Pfft. I I would love to see that moment where he's like, where did you learn those words? Yeah, come on. Come on. So God brings him in and curses, brings a curse. He's like, now you're going to have child labor. Hate to tell you this, ladies. It's going to be very, and only women can have babies. I'm just going to say it now. It's going to be painful, right? It's going to hurt, but you're going to, the, the redeemer is going to come through your bloodline. Eve, the savior of the world is going to come through this process. Like it's, it's good. The pain will be worth it. And all the moms would say, yeah, the pain was worth it. And then he looks at Adam. he's like, hey, sorry to tell you, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to sweat. You're going to go out and plant good seed, and weeds are going to come up that you didn't plant, and you're going to have to pull the weeds that you didn't even put there. So you're going to have double work, but that's going to be how you exist. You're going to work the ground, and you're going to take dominion of the earth. And then he says, come here, I'm going to sew you some clothes. I'm going to cover you. And he takes some some leather and fur and he makes them some clothing to cover them. Because what they covered themselves with was not sufficient. And we do this all the time. We feel shame and we immediately stir up pride and we fix it ourselves and then we end up in a worse place than we were before the shame came. Now I want to read from John chapter 9. I'm not going to read all of it, it's a long chapter, it's like 40 or 42 verses but I'm going to read from the start and from the beginning. And what I said earlier, if you're someone here or on Facebook or on the stream who says, man, I feel I don't understand all this. I feel maybe I'm blind and I don't see this. The Lord's got a word for you at the end of this. So in verse 1 of John chapter 9, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. That's the Pharisee spirit. That is the judgment critical spirit. Okay, there's a problem here. Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? That's the, they're looking for a, a, someone to blame. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, come on. They had to have sinned. They had to have done something wrong, right? But Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this is that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because the night is coming when no one will be able to work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground. He made clay with his saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of shalom, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found that out, he said to them, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, yes, Lord, who is the Son of God, that I may believe. And Jesus says, you have both seen him and I am talking to you right now. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. And I'm, I'm skipping down 35 through 41. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into the world. Now listen to this. That those who are blind or those who do not see may see. And that those who see Or think they see may be made blind. Then the Pharisees who were were there heard Jesus, and they said to him, Are we blind too? Now listen to this. What a powerful verse. Wait, look at this. Read it in your own Bible, your own app. Are we blind too? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have any sin. What? What? But because you say we are not blind, or because you say we see, your sin remains. What's the point? If I think that I'm not blind, I am more full of sin than I realize. But if I come to Jesus and I say, You're right, Jesus, I can't see. I need you. I'm blind. Even though I may have been a sinful person, Jesus looks at me and says, You have no sin because you admit to me that you're blind. You admit to me that you need me. You admit to me that you don't have it all figured out. See, this, I really feel strongly that the Lord's working some stuff out in us, that, this is, that it's easier to walk with Jesus than we've made it. Yeah, come on. Now, don't get me wrong. It costs us everything to walk with Jesus. It it's, not, it's not this cheap free ride. It costs us everything, but I am fully convinced that it's easier to walk with Jesus, but only if we do it the way he told us to do it. And the way we do it is, I am poor in spirit. I acknowledge that I need you. Oh, I may feel powerful. There may be areas of our lives where we feel really powerful. Oh man, I've got this figured out. No, our posture should be, Lord, even though you've trained my hands for war, I can't go to war unless you send me. Come on. Even though you've prepared me to be pr- productive and to ha- have much fruit in my life, even though maybe you've given me ability to be fruitful in this area or that, I cannot produce fruit in my life unless you release your word into my life. Like, it all comes from him. And I, I want to, I would love for us to all learn right now to get off of this ride of the critic, to stop, the, to, to stop the looking inward and searching for the wrong that's in us. Because we say it here all the time, he's in us for us, he's on us for others. So if I am constantly looking inwardly to find what's wrong with me, then guess what I'm gonna also do to everyone else? I'm gonna find what's wrong. Yeah. Come on. Now I, I knew when I was young, as a teenager, I remember when our youth group spent some time teaching on the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and discernment and all the gifts of the Spirit. And I remember that night, and I can even remember right where I was. I can go there in my head right now with my youth pastor, Curtis Tucker, and I can remember telling him that I felt like God was stirring up a prophetic gift and an ability to discern. And I remember him praying over me for a spirit of discernment and ability to prophesy. And guess how I used that gift for like 30 years of my life? to find what was wrong. To find out what was wrong. I discerned what was wrong. Hmm. We would practice. This is so terrible. I've probably told this before, but it's terrible. We would go to public places and read people. Like, discern, okay? what's going on with him? Well, this is what I think's going on with him. And we would assess what we thought we could sense. Who knows if we were right or not. But we knew. Whew. We were using our gift and I learned to be a critic instead of real prophecy, which is to edify, to build up, yeah. to cheer on. And then a few weeks ago, now this has been a process. The Lord's been stirring that gift back up in me prophetic. Not not to point out what's wrong, but to prophesy what Jesus sees, like it's a totally different side of it. And a few weeks ago, I was watching uh, one of our training thing we had to go through, and I, I heard I heard this lady use that same language, that, that her gift of prophecy initially stirred up in discerning the atmosphere, and usually discerning what was wrong in the atmosphere. And what she learned is Instead of saying what I've discerned or the critical thing that I see, I speak what Jesus sees. I speak the solution to it. Yeah. So I've started not only doing that when I sense things in the atmosphere with people I'm with or whatever, I do it for myself. Yeah. Uh-oh, I sense a really bad thing here. Yeah, that's, that's there. Lord, you highlighted that. I see it. What do you see about me? And then I begin to say what he says. And I begin to say what he sees. What do you see, Jesus? What do you think about me? Okay, I'm gonna prophesy. I'm gonna, we use the example that she uses, like if she was in a room and she sensed that someone was struggling with, with their purity, instead of saying, hey, you're struggling with your purity and you better get right with God, she would prophesy. I sense that Jesus is bringing you to an encounter with a fresh atmosphere of purity, that he's about to bathe you with a new revelation of purity over your life, and he's going to release purity you've never experienced before, and you're going to feel more free, instead of pointing out the negative. And so, we've started doing this for ourselves, when we sense ugly things rise to the surface, and they usually rise to the surface when we're with other people. When those things rise to the surface, okay, Jesus... I saw that too. And I only could see it. I'm blind. I only could see it because you saw it. And what do you see? And we begin to declare those things over ourselves. And I can tell you, like I I never felt more light in my whole life in my relationship with the Lord. I don't even know how to explain it. Like, it feels light. I feel like there's helium in my soul. Like, there's just, am I still... Falling short at times? Yeah, we all do, right? We mess up. Do I still say and do ugly things? Yeah. But there's a solution to all of it, and it's not me. And it's not anything I could dream up. And I'll say it again I think Jesus is more offended with people who say they can see, but are actually blind, than a person who says, Yeah, I'm just blind. <laughs> I admit it, I'm blind. I think he loves that. I think he's like, you're the kind of people I want to hang out with. Yep. I really feel that strongly. So I want to release you from the critical spirit. I'm going to ask this question. So we all have this inner dialogue going on, right? We have our voice in our head all the time, talking, right? Is yours critical of, your, of you? Is it mean to you? Be free from that right now. Be free from that critical voice in your head. Stop it. Come on. This is the truth. God delights in you. He actually delights in you. He loves you. There's nothing about you that repulses him. Oh, what? I thought sin separates us from God. That's the biggest lie that we've been teaching. For Like if sin separated us from God, how could anyone ever find God? <laughs> do you think sin's bigger than Jesus? Do you think weakness is bigger than, no. You are God's delight. He's absolutely in love with you. And all he wants to do is walk in a relationship with you. That's it. It's really easy. The critic, the one who comes to accuse you. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the believers. Satan has learned this. The critical voice has come to accuse us and make us feel less than. So we break the voice of the critic right now in Jesus' name. We silence the voice of the foe. We silence the voice of the enemy, the accuser. God, recalibrate our hearing right now. Help us to hear what you're saying over us and help us to tune out the accuser. You're the only one who can judge. (sighs) Last thing I'm going to say when Jesus came to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, And they all said, we're going to stone her because the law says to stone her. The critic, the law says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And what did Jesus say? Hey, if you've got no sin, you can go first. Go first. Go for it. And what did they do? They dropped their stones. And I love that it says starting from the oldest to the youngest. I love that. It's a neat little thing in there that shows how the older lead. By example, and the oldest to the youngest. They dropped their stones. And then Jesus sat there. Was there still someone there who had a right to throw a stone? Was Jesus sinless? Absolutely. And he didn't. And what did he say to her? Hey, woman, where are your accusers? Like, the only person who has the right to accuse you is still here. I have the right to do it. He didn't say this in the word. Maybe he did. I don't know. But this is the thought. He had a right to accuse her, and he didn't. He's like, where are your accusers? She says, well, there's no one left, sir. And he goes, well, I don't accuse you or condemn you either. Well, she was full of sin shame. Woman, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. I hear the Lord saying that over someone here. I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you either. Now go and don't sin. Well, that's impossible. Then why did he say it? <laughs> Don't attach sin to behavior only. And if we think, oh, I'm going to act perfectly, oh, that's not it. Jesus, we ask that you would come and wash away the voice of the accuser. We ask you to wash away the voice of the accuser. Come on, be free. Jesus. Won't you stand with me? There are two sides of this today. There's the, the the proud side that says, "Who sinned? This guy or his parents?" What's wrong here? We should stop starting our reasoning with what's wrong or what's missing. And then there's the other side. There's the shame side and all the things we do to cover how we feel naked. And the Lord wants to set both free right now. If you feel you've struggled with pride, I, I'm going to ask for you to do a bold thing. I'm going to ask you to, to to come to the front. If you struggle, I'm I'm here. I'm up here, I'm first one up. If you struggle with pride, yeah, I've compared. Whew. This is good for us. Like we're we're making a public confession. Like, I don't want the Lord to resist. I don't want to compare anymore. Mm. Can I tell you real quick what the Lord told me about this comparison thing? That when we're proud and we compare, we will only surround ourselves with people that make us feel better about ourselves. We will surround our lives with people that are in a lesser station than we are in the moment so that we can feel better. And it's not okay anymore. God, we ask that you will forgive us for our pride. We're sorry for thinking that we can see when we're blind. We're sorry for thinking we know when we don't know. Wash the pride out of our hearts now. Wash us with your word. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before you. God, we will stir up humility we will not compare we will not judge yeah let the Lord just continue if that's you continue to let the Lord minister to you if you're here and you struggle with shame you felt ashamed if you felt ashamed for an old sin Jesus forgave you for it when you asked him to so stop Stop feeling bad for something that happened a long time ago. I've shared this many times, but I remember when the Lord gave me revelation and he, I felt ashamed of who I was a, a period of my life. I had every reason to feel ashamed. I was a mess, an absolute mess. And so when I look back over that part of Jared, I hated that part. And I felt like I would have to make excuses for him or answer for him. And the Lord says, you don't have to answer for him anymore that's old Jared and he's dead. He's crucified. You're new, Jared. You don't have to answer for him anymore. And I stopped feeling shame. Even when I was in settings where old conversations would come up and the memories, I didn't feel shame anymore for it. I was like, I'm not even that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. So I, I released that revelation over. If you felt shame, no more. He has clothed you in righteousness He has clothed you in light, not in darkness. So shame go right now in Jesus' name. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You are in Christ. If you've walked in with Jesus, you've asked him to be your Lord, he's he's your Lord. He's covering you. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. So we silence that voice right now that comes to bring accusation. It comes to make us feel less than. And we will no longer give an account for the old us that was crucified. (sighs) And we'll just close with this. Like Jesus, we want to walk with you. All right, I'm going to ask you to pray a br- brave prayer with me. All right? We're going to give him permission to be the searchlight. And we're going to tell him nothing's off limits. Okay? So if you're cool with that, don't pray it if you don't mean it. Because our prayer is powerful. It means something. If you're brave and you want to, pray it with me. All right, Father God, I come to you and I need you. I'm blind. I'm deaf. I can't see and I can't hear. I need you to awaken me. I give you permission to search me. I pray David's prayer. Search me, O oh God. See if there's any wickedness in me. I won't search myself, but I invite you to search me. And one more thing we pray nothing is off limits, God. Nothing is off limits. I prophesy you're about to experience the greatest freedom you've ever felt. You're about to experience the greatest peace you've ever known. Your sleep is going to be restored to you. If those who have been struggling with sleep, it's going to be restored to you. Your conscience is being lifted right now. Your weight is being taken onto Jesus's shoulders. I prophesy to those who have felt shame, you're about to feel righteous. Come on. (laughs) You're gonna gain confidence in Christ. Like Paul says, we don't boast in anything but the Lord. (laughs) I prophesy to those who have hidden themselves and be like, well, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. That's not true. We call you out of hiding. (laughs) We're all blind, every one of us. We're all blind. (laughs) And we need Jesus to guide us. So stop hiding. Don't hide parts of yourself anymore. (laughs) It's not safer with you in darkness. It's only safe when it comes to the light. The word says everything that is exposed by the light actually becomes light. (laughs) So when it comes to the exposure of light, he redeems it. So don't hide. There's someone here watching, you've struggled with repetitive sin. Like it's just, it's been a struggle. And the Lord says to you today, go and sin no more. You're free in Jesus' name. I actually hear chains breaking He gives more grace to the humble. He's washing us right now. Come on. I just feel it. Something I've been praying, like, Lord, wash me today in your word. Just wash me today in your word. He washes us. He makes us clean. Every day. Take a shower every day. Lord, wash me in your word every day. Did you know that it's possible to live where you feel God's pleasure for your life? Sorry, I I can't get away from this thought. I've thought it like three or four times during the message. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But the Lord wants you to know his pleasure. He rejoices over us. There's a place we can find in him where we experience his joy, amen? Instead of feeling like a burden or a failure or whatever it is, there's a place where we can feel his pleasure over us. Just like when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down and says, this is my son, I'm so pleased with him. We can live there. So I declare that over you right now. You are his beloved son, he is so pleased with you. You're his beloved son, he's so pleased with you. You're his beloved son and daughter, he's so pleased with you. You're his beloved daughter, Nicole, he's so pleased with you. You're his beloved daughter, he's so pleased with you. Hmm. Amen. Thank you for letting me take longer than normal. I just pray that Jesus wrecks your life this week. I pray that you you feel his pleasure over your life, that you feel the weight lifted and the burden of pride and shame goes away. Amen. If you want personal prayer for anything else we missed, we'll be here at the front. But thank you for being here. Guests, thank you for being here from Germany. And we bless you. We bless all of you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here.